We're back. We didn't take as long off this time and we wanted to rip in to a little bit of NBL. We wanted to get stuck into some NBA and touch on the WNBL. But, mate, uh, let, let's just get into this NBL Awards. Uh, the nominees got announced this week. What did you think? I know you've got some strong thoughts on a few. Yeah, um, I, I thought the MVP finalists was spot on um as good as uh Keanu Pinder's been this year I don't think he's been better than those three so Bryce um, Cotton I, Xavier Cooks and Mitch Creek correct um and, and and I know everyone's been singing about Xavier Cooks but Bryce Cotton is getting the LeBron treatment where he's just been so good for so long they just want someone else essentially um, if you took Xavier Cooks out of Sydney, I still think Sydney is a really good team. If you took Bryce Cotton out of Perth, they're stuffed, in my opinion. And I would add the um, same to Mitch Creek, the way this season's gone in so far as the Phoenix have been crippled with injuries for much of this year, and he's been that rock-steady go-to guy there. I mean, without Mitch Creek on that team, they're not even looking at a playoff spot to I think it's a really Correct. open race. I think it's a really, really open contest. Uh, the Lindsay Gaze Trophy Coach of the Year. We've got Adam Ford, Chase Buford, Modi Mayor. Um, I've got Modi Mayor winning. I think it's got to be either him or Adam Ford. Um, the turnaround that both of them had and Modi being a first-year coach has just been incredible. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I agree. I I think one of those two. I I certainly love the fact that Chase Buford's in there, and I almost think that any time you you guide a team to the top of the ladder, regardless of talent, you've still got to manage talent. Um, you, you know what? This is one that I've thought for a long time. I, I just this is the award they should just hand this to the championship coach. That's why you coach to win championships, and some coaches will approach a final series or the, the regular season differently, looking to put their team in the best position to win a championship. Um, others will go like crazy to win every regular season game. So, look, it's I agree. I think Modi Mayor's the front runner here. Adam Ford's been incredible. They're, they're the two teams who have clearly overachieved, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd give it most, to most improved. Keanu Pinder, Sean McDonald, Will McDowell-White, three guys that I really – have enjoyed watching playing this year. Um, I think Keanu Pinder is going to win it back-to-back years with another huge leap that he's taken in his game. But Has that ever been done I'm before? Really, I'm not sure I'm, anyone's ever won two in a row, two most improved no, plays in a row. No. That, that being said, I really want Sean McDonald to win. Yeah, what I, I do too because I coached him as a junior and because he wasn't on anyone's radars and – yeah, the only player, I mean, he's coming from nowhere last year and that might hurt him. Essentially, this is his rookie year, right? The way the NBL is looking at it, and we'll get to this in a minute, but the way the NBL is looking at it, this is his rookie year. So it's hard to win 
a most improved player in your rookie year. Um, yeah. He's been I, fantastic. I, I do think it's out of two. I think it's out of Keanu and Will McDowell-White. I th- we miss a lot of what New Zealand do here in Australia. We're, we're really focused on our home teams and then mainland Australian teams. I just think Will McDowell-White took a big step in the offseason when he pulled on a Boomers jersey. I, I thought he was incredible. I thought he was right on par with the level that Mitch McCarron was playing at in that Boomers squad that qualified for the Oceanas and had those games. But uh, I think he's carried that through and you know led a team that's finished really high up the ladder as is Keanu Pinder. So for me, it's out of those two. Um, Hey, the sixth man, this is an interesting one because uh, they're all imports, Um, Mm. which which is really unusual. It shows the change in mindset with the imports that we bring to Australia. I mean, I remember back in 2000 and it must have been 2000, 2001, Jamal Mosley, to the best of my knowledge, was the first import who was ever really happy coming off the bench and won sixth man of the year when we're at the Victoria Titans together. Um, but there's been this real shift in mindset. So Barry Brown, Rashad Kelly, and Tyler Johnson. Uh, Barry, Barry, Barry Brown's going to win this by yeah, country mile. By a mile length, right? length of a straight. Has to. And, uh, um, I think Tyler Johnson's come on really well in the second half of this season as far as what we sort of expected from him. Um, Rashad Kelly has been a bit hit and miss for me all season, uh, but Barry Brown is just an out-and-out star. Uh, he, he wins this one hands down. So here's the one that, that we need to talk a lot about, and, and here's where I want to preface this with a couple of points. The first one is that these three finalists in each category have been nominated by coaches and players. Um, no, 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 no. They've been nominated by panel. Sorry. There was a short, short list by panel. Shortlisted by the players and coaches and shortlisted by a panel. Shortlisted by a panel, which included uh, John Casey, Liam Santa Maria, Greg High, Casey Frank, uh, and a couple others, and then the captains and the coaches of each team nominated out of that short list who they wanted, which narrowed it down to three. So I think there were six in the list, and then the coaches and the captains narrowed it down to the, the top three. So so my strong belief here is just get the coaches and the captains out of it. There's too much bias in that. Um, it needs to be independent. It doesn't need to be as small as three. I think there's. I don't think there's any problem having five. Um, we, we just need to make sure we get this right. And I think you'll speak on this as well. Antonius Cleveland, great defensive player, but his team's third last. Shea Illy, fantastic defensive player, but he's only played half the season. Derek Pardon, yeah, good, but not any better than anyone else in the league. And all of a sudden, you've got the team on top of the league, the Sydney Kings, without a candidate. And for me, Justin Simon, and in and in the guy that trophy's named after, Damian Martin, in his opinion, the best defensive player in the league is Justin Simon, yet he's not even nominated. That just can't yeah. happen. No. Um, a lot of debate about this one. The top three teams defensively this year were New Zealand. Sydney and Cairns. And if you would have asked me who would be the top three candidates, it would have been Pardon, Justin Simon, and Bull Quagg. Um, because 
what Bull does all game is he picks up as soon as they inbound the ball and he harasses the he sets the tone for the Taipans defensively. Does he get into a bit of foul trouble? He does, but he creates that pressure that the Taipans defense hasn't seen for a while. Um, Justin Simon's been outstanding defender, takes the best player, game in, game out. You can't fold him. Um, and Derek Pardon has been a rock for New Zealand. So for me, that that was my top three in that award. Um, and, and, and in this one, this cannot, cannot be a statistical award. You, you cannot measure steals because the, top, the guy who leads the league in steals generally gives up the most backdoor cuts and open baskets and the guy who leads the league in blocks, you know, oftentimes gives up drop-off passes and easy... It just can't be statistical. If you're going to pick a statistic, it has to be opposition field goal percentage when you're directly responsible for an opponent, if if at, if at all. But uh, I just think, but you know, I, I think the NBA we, we really both, got this one wrong. We we would both agree Shea Ely would be there if he was healthy 100%. for the majority of the season. 100%. Let's be really clear. We love Shea. I just don't think, and he may even agree, I don't know. But there's got to be a number that's in and around 75% of games played within a season to be eligible for, for an award. Now, the next generation award, we've gotten rid of the Rookie of the Year, which is disappointing because that's a historical award, and it's pure. The, the, the first time you pull on a jersey in an NBL game, you're a rookie. Let's, I don't care if you're called a development player. I don't care if you're on the roster. The second you pull on that jersey, you're an NBL player. If you're good enough to warrant discussion around being the best first-year player, you can win Rookie of the Year. The fact that Luke Travers was eligible in his second and I think maybe even third year is a joke. Third year. Uh, The fact that we no longer have the award, and I think we have a a number of good, young, talented players. We've got enough to to keep that award. I mean, this is like the everyone gets a trophy award. You know, Sam Froling's represented his country. He's been an NBL player for years, but he's eligible. And we love Froles. Travis the same. I mean, he might end up winning this award rebranded again. And Sam Wardenberg, see, just on criteria, he should be the only one eligible here. It should just be yeah. his award. Plain and simple. Yep. Cross the other two off and give it to Sam Wardenberg. I 100% agree. Um, as someone who won the Rookie of the Year, like I was a little bit annoyed that they've made this leap. And then if I put my sarcastic hat on, why can't we have uh, the Fossil Award? Players over 35 or 33. Who's the best player over 33? You know, you're going to have... Dave Barlow, Brad Newley, and someone else as the candidates. Yeah, uh, it just didn't make any sense to me. I, I'm I'm not a fan of it. And um, you know, Sam Wardenberg deserves this award for this year. The way he's been playing, uh, had another great game on the weekend, um, falling short against Adelaide, but was dominant in that in that role. And as a first year player, he should be rewarded in my eyes. We'll see how it pans out. There's only a week of NBL games to go, so we're going to be really quick on the NBL. We mentioned no, just, 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 just on that. 
what's your what's your feeling? Like the season's not even over. Yeah. And there's so Bryce Cotton's forty point game doesn't get included into right the process. Uh, Xavier Cook's triple doubles game doesn't get put into the process. Well, see, Why the, are they doing it two I, weeks I, out I from the know. season? And then this is you know what when I coached in the league and we had to fill out a we were able to allocate ten votes. We had to allocate ten votes every game. Uh, with a maximum of five to one player. That's how MVP voting worked, and it accumulated every single game, home and away coaching staff. And I didn't like that idea either because I hadn't seen the replay. I hadn't gone over the scout. I hadn't gone over the edit. Um, Yeah, it was an emotional gut feel type of an award. And, uh, you know, it's just really easy to give it to the players who have the best statistical numbers but don't impact the game enough. So, look, I just think they need to get that one right. As you say, get a panel around. Do you think they go to an AFL system where the umpires vote after the game? No, I don't think that either, but I think it needs to be done every round by an independent panel, which may include current and former coaches. It should include media. It should include former players. Uh and it's done game by game with at least four or five of them. So I was a part of the grand final MVP panel one year with Larry Sengstock, Liam Santa Maria, and a couple of others. And we watched every game. And as soon as the game was done, we got on a call and we discussed the game and put our combined votes and entered them and submitted them to the league. We're getting to a level of professionalism where it needs to be something along those lines where at least three of a panel watch every single game and allocate votes after a group conversation uh, that day or the next day. But it it can't be nominated, as you say, before the end of the season. You're spot on. Yep. Hey, um, before we get off the NBL, because we'll be talking about that plenty when the playoffs get here, um, Keanu Pinder, Shay Illies, we said last, last week, out for the season. Um, Keanu Pinder out for the season with a fractured orbital bone. Um, geez, I'll tell you what, that that's crushing for, for Cairns to, you know, have the potential to do what Tasmania did last year and be that Cinderella story, a, a team that no one thought would challenge for a championship and to lose their best player or their most impactful player, is that a word, on the eve yep. of the playoffs, um, yeah, that's, that's crushing. Yeah, tough blow for the Taipans, tough blow for Keanu. Like, I'll, I think I've said it before in this podcast, the guy that, you know, a couple of years ago was on the verge of being out of the league and went up to Cairns, resurrected his career and has played a fantastic season. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel bad for, for the fella. I feel bad for Cairns. I know Adam Ford would be feeling bad within himself um, because he knows he had a shot. I think you talked about South East Melbourne were the best equipped team to knock off Sydney. I thought Cairns was the best equipped team to knock off Sydney. Um, that being said, I do like that DJ Hogue has stepped up his game. I do like that Tajima Call has stepped up his game. I like that Sam Wardenberg has stepped up his game. Um, but what we saw on the weekend versus Adelaide was just a real... Um, focused by Adelaide to attack him from in the post and and Cairns didn't have many options. Uh, 
with guarding that and Keanu just gave that extra dimension because he, he was really good at getting around seals and getting deflections onto the ball and and starting their fast break. You know that they chuck up more three-pointers than anyone else, but he was a big driving force with his ability to rebound and start the break, the ability to block shots, um, change shots, get deflections. Um, so it is a massive loss and, and he's one of the guys that you, you can't replace right now. It's it's not a replaceable part. Um, you hope that the other guys step up, but even if they do it by committee, it's still a huge hole that they're leaving um, on both ends of the court. Let's jump across to the NBA. Um, we haven't spoken much NBA in the last few weeks, and we can't probably start talking about the NBA without discussing the non-call on LeBron James, and I've heard other podcasts speak about it already, but <laughs> what, it was probably the funniest thing I've seen in a basketball game in a long time where clearly it was a foul on Jason Tatum. I've never seen a reaction like that, a, a sooky crybaby, hands on head. He'll be looking at that as a meme for the next decade um, at the non-call. And then to see Patrick Beverly go and get the courtside camera and hand it to the referee to show him the foul. Like not a the small camera, a big you know, telescopic lens camera and flick it around and you know, picked up a technical. So on top of everything, the, 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 where I sit, and I'll let you talk in a second, but the Lakers are battling for a play-in spot. They're in this huge fight with four or five other teams. That would have been a huge win in Boston, especially now we know they had to rest LeBron and AD and they lost again the next night. Um, but that loss hurts. Um, LeBron carrying on like that hurts, and I think it hurts his reputation in you know recency bias. It hurts that. But you know, a he should have been teched. They shouldn't have even gone. They shouldn't have gone to overtime, maybe. They should have been technical fouls. They're shooting them Boston winning regulation, even. Just a, a series of comical events that, which sadly was, you know, Pat Beverly hit the three and that had a tip dunk. His first dunk in years was his really incredible finish to a game the Lakers should have won. And it turned into, into, into a disaster and could have just shifted their this season off the rails, not that it was actually on them, but just completely knocked it off. Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts about this. This is not the first time it's happened to the Lakers this year. This is about the third or the fourth, the fourth time. time. So right? that's, that's their frustration, I guess. Um, the funniest thing I saw was um, someone on Twitter said, you know, you never saw Michael Jordan react like this. And then someone said, yes, because of this reason. And they showed the video where you remember when the, Went up the with referee his left was like. Finished, up with his right no, no, no. With his left. no, 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 where the referee was just like, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm right. sorry. I didn't mean to miss the call. You know, that that sort of stuff. Um, I saw the one where they said Michael Jordan would have gone up and changed hands hands. and finished yeah. with the other one. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look. The Lakers aren't going to do anything this year anyway, regardless. I think what we saw in Boston was just an outpouring of, I can't believe this is happening again to us situation. Uh, you're right. It should never have got to that spot. 
that 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 point. They they had control majority of that game. Um, but yeah, <laughs> there, there was there was just so so much to unpack from that ending. Um, but like I said, in the the whole grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter because the Lakers aren't doing anything this year. They're not they're not a if they scrape into a uh, a playoff uh, playing game. Um, they're still not going to go further than that, in my opinion, with with the talent that's around elsewhere. Um, the Lakers are a lost cause, and uh, we probably shouldn't talk about the Lakers anymore. Okay, I'm sick let's of talk about, about okay, let, let's talk about OKC, a team that people expected to be right down towards the bottom of the Western Conference. Clearly, yep. we have a bias, and a lot of Aussies have a bias because Josh Giddy is the starting point guard and one of the most exciting backcourts in the NBA with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Now, there's a very, very strong rumour I've heard a lot of recently, and I'd like to get your opinion because I I think OKC, well, we know they've got a war chest of draft picks. We're waiting for them to pull the trigger and bring in one, if not two, superstars. And I just think with the form of Josh and SGA, they might have accelerated their thinking a little bit because with one more superstar, possibly two, and they've got the draft picks to get them in, they go from being comparable to the Lakers now to a playoff team really, really quickly. So the rumour I'm hearing uh, is that if not this trade line, but certainly uh, this trade deadline, in the next week or two, John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks comes in and joins OKC, uh, they don't need they're, – they're one team that don't need Victor Wenbanyama. They've got Chet Holgren coming in next year anyways. Um, so you'd be looking at a starting five or four of the five of Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, John Collins, and Chet Holmgren. Add a wing to that. That's a really, really good team in my opinion. I think it's a perfect fit for John Collins who clearly doesn't want to be in Atlanta anymore. I agree. I'd, I'd love – for that to happen, and um, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head with saying of this Nick Excel pro, uh, program right now because SGA is playing at a very, very high level, uh, at an all-star level. Um, Chet Holgram is going to be bloody good when he gets on the court. Um, Giddy Giddy has been just that steady. He's he's almost being like the vet in the team to a degree. He's just the steady hand. He makes the, uh, the right read majority of the time. Uh, having an improved jump shot as well is helping the process. But you're right, get John Collins in, maybe a, another wing player to uh, add value. And I think probably defensively wing-oriented, I'd say, to, to add value to that team. All of a sudden, they become pretty serious. Can you imagine, really serious? Can you imagine even with Josh himself, they shoot the ball horribly. That team. Can you imagine putting some perimeter threats and rim threats around Josh? How much better he becomes? Absolutely. Just such an exciting idea that the fact that they're talking about accelerating their improvement, uh, God, it's, it's exciting. Now, hey, uh, I need to ask you about this one. One one high-profile star that has annoyed me for a number of years because every time he speaks, he makes it about him. 
you know, why wasn't I MVP? What do I have to do to win MVP? And he said that last year coming into the playoff series, which right from the start, you're figuring out where Joel Embiid's priorities lie. Now, he's not even a starter this year, yet he's probably top three, maybe four in MVP voting. I I just want, I'm just interested in your opinion as to A, is he an MVP candidate? B, can he ever win with that sort of me first attitude uh, when it really, really matters and teams put time into a scout and, you know what, there's no C. They're my two. They're my two questions. A is he an MVP candidate? Yes, he is. B can he win one? Who, who, do, you, who do you have? Who, who, do, who do you have as MVP favorite right now? Uh, Luka, there's Giannis, there's Embiid. There's I, I was, I was about to say is between Jokic and Luca for myself as MVP. As so, so Embiid's not a candidate. Well, I think he's third on that list. Right. Um, but if you were to ask me, well, it depends how the second half of the season goes. I think he's got the capabilities of winning an MVP. With with what makes Jokic such a threat, has he's been pretty much the main guy. He's got some solid pieces around him in Gordon and uh, Murray and whatnot. Um, so he's always prolific in the vote getting, if you would, at the end of the day. Uh, Luca doesn't have as much around him. It's always going to be prolific. Embiid has got James Harden there, um, who probably even he, I, like I don't think he's going to be an all-star this year yet. He's putting up 21 and 11 assists. Like, or something around that. Um, so... Maybe Philly doesn't get the love that they deserve from time to time. Um, Embiid, like I'm, I'm not all about the uh, I should be this, I should be that. What do I need to do? Um, people know he's a great player. People know he's a top. Does top he take, five does he take too many games off for you? Like you see that game he had against Jokic last week, and he said he actually said that was my Super Bowl, mm. and that's because of the individual matchup. So again. That rubs me the wrong way a little bit if I'm a Philadelphia fan, but sure, your Super Bowl is getting to the playoffs and winning a championship. Yeah, I was about to say, I can understand individual matchups and wanting to win, get the better of individual matchups. Uh, as former players, I'm sure there was games where you went against someone head to head and you said, if I get the better of this matchup, my team's going to win, basically. Um, I don't think you would have gone ahead and said, this is my Super Bowl. You would have said, this is a matchup that I look forward to. And that's yeah, probably this, this the way that we can beat this team when it matters is all it is. Correct. Correct. Um, so for me, don't necessarily always like the attitude, the, uh, the DX socket that he gave to the crowd. That was just weird yeah. within itself. Um, but you can't deny that he's not a top NBA talent. You can't deny that he is an MVP candidate and you can't deny that um, probably last year he did deserve to win. In all seriousness, I 
I, I like Nikola. I love Nikola Jokic as a player, but I thought Embiid had a better, a better I, I think, season. Yeah, there were, there were two right answers last week. No, last year, I think. I mean, either one. I don't. I think there's a strong argument for both. Hey, before we get off this, can they? Can he win when it matters? Can can the Philadelphia 76ers at full strength win the NBA championship, or is it just too much about individuals and not enough about the group? If they can find a way, they've got the personnel to win an NBA championship. There I agree. Go. I agree they've, they've got, got the personnel, which is why the question's really pertinent. Mm. I think Embiid needs to be able to drag the other people in. If he if he finds a way to probably lower his numbers, but to get others involved more, I think he strengthens his case of being an MVP. There you go. Hey, um, we need to touch on this before we go. Um, again, we haven't touched on the on the WNBL in, since Christmas, and they're doing an amazing thing this Saturday. Uh, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday afternoon, but the Southside Flyers have been very public over the last three or four weeks about saying we want to break the all-time historical attendance record for a WNBL game, and they'll do it. They're at John Kane Arena on Saturday night. They've sold more than 6,000 tickets. The Lauren Jackson effect just keeps on giving to Australian basketball. Um, I mean, the fact she's playing on reportedly a, a broken foot and, I mean, to talk about LJ and what she's still doing for the WNBL and maybe even further to, to basketball in this country. Uh She's the best Australian basketball player of all time, period. I agree. Men and women. Men and women. She is the absolute best. Um, she's inspired a nation, again, with her what she's done recently. She's, she's, uh, yeah, she's just been incredible for, for so long now. And to think that this was someone – a couple of years back that was struggling to walk because of knee troubles and, you know, um, we were fortunate enough to see her in her peak uh, and she was amazing. And then to see her all these years later come back into the WNBL after how many years was she away from the WNBL? Oh, a decade? Six. Jeez, yeah. Uh, six, six, seven, eight, something like that. It's almost the Michael Jordan effect, isn't it? Can you imagine even how much better she would have seemed if social media had have been more pertinent in her WNBA days and yeah. more of us saw her W... She was the best player in the world. Yeah. Uh, what, she win three MVPs in yeah, the WNBA? WNBA championships, MVPs, uh, world championship, gold medals against Team USA... Yeah. You know, Olympic medals, it's it's incredible. So, hey, for, for that reason and for everything you just said, if you're listening this far into this podcast, and there might only be a couple of you, but tickets are only 20 bucks for adults, 5 bucks for kids. It's really, really affordable. Go and be a part of history on Saturday night. Go and watch one of the greatest to ever do it. It might be your last chance to ever see Lauren Jackson in person. Go and be a part of history. Go and have a great night out with the kids and – uh Support the women's game as well. We, we talk a lot about the men's, but make sure you put your hand in your pocket because uh, we, we, we always want to talk about it, but we need to put our hands in our pocket and go and buy some tickets so you've got the best chance possible to do that on Saturday night. Wertho, 
Great job, mate. Um, we'll keep these rolling out a little bit more frequently and uh, we'll chat to you soon. Sounds good, mate. Thank you.